Why don't you turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3, verse 8. The fiery furnace. Daniel 3, verse 8. And we're going to do a good bit of reading here um, about this. Daniel 3, verse 8. Therefore, at the time certain Chaldeans came forward, and maliciously, uh, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste, He declared to his counsellors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, Come out and come here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. No smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and the houses laid in ruins. For there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Amen. It is a great story. 
And there's so much to learn about God and ourselves in this story. Because these were men that trusted in the providence of God. We started a new series at the 5 o'clock on the providence of God and linked to that the 2.30 service. This month we are looking at God's care. And that's what we talk about. When we talk about divine providence. We are talking about God in action in this world. We're talking about the fact that God sustains, cares for, and directs ultimately everything that goes on in the earth. We often talk about the providence of God when something special happens, where we see a special intervention of God and we say, wow, that was the providence of God. So looking at this story and we see that they were delivered from the fire, we say, wow, that was the providence of God. Providence, the word provide is in the word providence. And here, God provided them with an escape, provided them with a deliverance. So often providence is used for special acts of God, circumstances that, took pl- that take place in our life where we go, wow, God was il- really in that. Have you, ever had a div- have you ever had a divine appointment? You know, you meet somebody and it seems like chance, but something incredible or special uh, comes out of it. I mean, it's amazing. Sometimes it can be the littlest event that brings you into the greatest plan of God for your life, a chance encounter, a chance meeting, something that happens and, and you look at it and you, you call it chance. You say, you know, that's, that just happened by chance when I met this person or this situation took place. Or, and it looks like chance from our perspective, but it was God's providence, his hand at work in our life all the way through. You think back to some of the things in your life things that happened. If it hadn't happened, you wouldn't be where you are now. I'm talking about the good things that God does in our our life. He is active and engaged. But God is not just providence in his special interventions and his special acts. He's not just, he doesn't just turn up here and there to, to intervene. But God is working his providence every moment of the day, every moment of your life. Thank God for the, what we think are special acts of providence when he comes through and brings that miracle, when he comes through and answers that prayer, when he intervenes in a situation so obviously that, that you see his manifest hand in your life. That's wonderful. But don't think that God is any less at work in the small things. Often God is just as much at work in our lives in the mundane daily routines that we work in. Uh, We Pentecostals and Charismatics, we're always looking for the unusual. We're always looking for the sensational. But remember this, the supernatural and the sensational, not always the same. And sometimes we're looking for the sensational work of God. And hey, that's great. I'm all for that. But sometimes God is working supernaturally. Well, when I say sometimes, sorry, I'll correct myself. God is always working supernaturally in our lives. And sometimes his greatest work is during the quietest periods of our life. Sometimes it's when we we don't sense him and and we think, what's going on? Is anything happening? You know, it's just day in, day out, and it's like, where's God? Well, sometimes he's working something very, very deep and supernatural in our lives. God is always at work. His providential hand is always on us. He's always designing and working in our lives to produce the plan that he has for us. And here in this Daniel, we see three men that trusted themselves to the providence of God. And that trusting themselves to the providential hand of God gave them courage to face whatever whatever they needed to face. They knew that that God was in control even when they were in a situation where it looked like everything was out of control and it looked that their lives and their futures and their destinies were in the hand of one crazed human dictator king called Nebuchadnezzar. But they were not intimidated by the circumstances because they knew that the circumstances were in God's hand. And that whatever happened, I mean, they were going to believe God. They were going to believe God. But whatever way it turned out, God was going to be the winner. That was in their mind. God was going to win. There is nothing that this earth or the powers of this earth 
could do unless God permitted it. And so they were not frightened, they were not afraid, and when the time came to step up to the plate and do the will of God, they were not intimidated at all. I think one of the greatest problems in the church today is intimidation. Intimidation. I think the, one of the greatest obstacles that Christians face today is intimidation. The devil is out to intimidate us. I mean, he wants to shut us down before we work the works of God. And the battlefield is in the mind. Joyce Meyer was right. Maurice Sorello was right. The battlefield is in the mind. And if the devil can intimidate us in the mind, then we're not even going to attempt to work the works of God. We're defeated before we've begun. And you think of the intimidation that these men were in. They're in such intimidating times. I mean, there was a decree that every time the music went off, everybody, wherever they were, had to fall down and worship the golden image. I mean, uh, you ever play musical bumps as a kid? Musical bumps as a kid. Not musical statues, but musical bumps. So you're all dancing around as kids, and you know that when the music stops, you've got to hit the ground. And the last one that hits the ground, bump, is out. Well, this was like musical bumps. So you'd be walking around doing your thing, walking in the streets of Babylon, cooking, whatever. Then randomly, someone would pump up the volume, and you'd better be on your face worshipping Nebuchadnezzar, because if not, you were going to get thrown into a fiery furnace. And so what, what, what could these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what could they do? How could they deal with this? Well, they could stay indoors, couldn't they? They could stay indoors, shut the door and shut the window, and then whenever there was this random music being played, they wouldn't have to bow down because they could stay shut up in their place. Nobody would see them, nobody would know, and nobody would care because it was dangerous for them to walk the streets. It was dangerous for them to go to work. It was dangerous for them to visit a restaurant. It was dangerous for them to be in any public situations because what if the music starts? You're in a restaurant. What if the music starts? Everybody's hit the ground. What if you're in a marketplace and the music starts and everybody hits the ground and you're the only person standing and the guards see what's happening? You're standing out. You're not fitting in. Well, you're going to get punished. And we see that not only this, but there were people that were out to take these laws and to viciously intimidate them. Certain Chaldeans were jealous of the authority and the power that these three Jews had, and they were seeking to find them out and to destroy them and to stir up hatred against them. And so... They do just that, and they go to Nebuchadnezzar. And we see in verse 30 that Nebuchadnezzar is in a furious rage. I mean, that doesn't just happen overnight. Somebody was stirring up the anger of this powerful man. I mean, I know it's just a man, but it reminds me of the devil. That the devil stirs up his anger and his fury, and through whatever means he can, he I mean, the Bible says that he goes around roaring like a lion, doesn't he? Devouring whoever he can. And sometimes the devil seeks to intimidate us all by various means. But it's, it, if there's any intimidation in your life, believe me, you're listening to the roar of the devil. And that's not, that's not to accuse you or to say, you know, I'm just saying we're identifying this to deal with this tonight. If there's any intimidation in your life about walking the works of, working the works of God and being who God has called you to do, any intimidation, that intimidation is the roar of an enemy. And we have to understand that that enemy has no power except what we give to him. If we don't give him any power over our lives, he can't have any. He's a roaring lion, but he is rendered powerless. But that roar can be very intimidating. And here's Nebuchadnezzar raging and furious. Can you imagine... Now, this, man, this wasn't just a leader, a political leader. This man had absolute power over life and death of everybody around him. You couldn't appeal to a higher court. 
This man wanted you dead, you were dead immediately. This was the power. He was treated as a god. He was God on earth to the, uh, to the Chaldeans. Everybody was worshipping. It was his image of gold that people were worshipping. And so he was really presenting himself as God. He believed he was God. All the people believed he was God. If you didn't believe he was God, then he was going to destroy you. And so here we have a false god on the earth that people are bowing down to. He's a false god, but he's got a lot of earthly temporal power, hasn't he? Like I said, in a moment he could kill you. Nobody would say he had absolute power to do whatever he wanted with anybody. That's how it seemed anyone, any, anyway to everybody else, but not to these three men. He gave them a chance. He said, look, if you hear the music and you bow down, well and good. But if you don't worship, you're going to be punished. And in the end, what was the big deal to bow down just for some music? I mean, you could, if you were Pentecostal, you could bow down and speak in other tongues, you know. Bow down. You could, you could sing some of the songs off uh, Jonathan's new album, you know. And you could say, well, it might look like I'm bowing down, but on the inside, I'm standing up and praising the Lord. I'm, you know, it's, you know, I'm just, it's, it's not going to help the cause much if we three most important Jews who are in power and we are protecting the Jews through our power, it's not going to help much if we die for such a simple thing of just not falling to the ground and appear to worship. Appearances will keep, our, 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 will keep us alive. But they said to the king, no. Do you know, no can be one of the most powerful words in Christianity. No. The Bible says that you say no to the devil and he will flee you. That's what basically what it says. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. What is that? That's when you say to the enemy, no. No, I'm not going to. I refuse to compromise. I know I can compromise, but I refuse to do it. I'd rather go down because I take a stand than stay up because of compromise. No. And they said to him, no, no, we will not do that. We have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, I mean, they were saying, why are you even asking us? They were known to be disciples of God and followers of God. They were known. So they were like, you know us, you know how we've lived, you know how we've followed our own. You have, we have no need to answer you in this matter because you know who we are. And anyway, God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace and will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Here's where their trust in the providence of God, that God is in control and directs everything that takes place, and that even the evil of man is not beyond the control of God. Do you remember Job? The devil says, I'm going to destroy you, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to take you out. And God says, this much you can do, but you can't have his life. And the devil was powerless. He allowed evil to take place in Job's life, but he set the limits of it, and he had eventual purpose for it. And if you read the end of Job, you know that. You know that he came out blessed, seven times more powerful. And, 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 and it's even a testimony today. You know, I've been mentioning Artie's book, God meant it for good. We've been pushing it at the five o'clock service, 6.99 if you want to get it. It's like if there was a top 20 books to read that you'd say, Bruce, give us the top 20 books, Christian books, that you, you think we should read, that'd be one of them. And it's the story of Joseph and how many evil things took place in Joseph's life. He was going to be killed, thrown in a pit, sold, falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife, put in prison, all these things forgotten by those he helped in prison. Just a catalogue of human rejection, human abuse, human lies, human uh, uh, lack of gratitude. You look at Joseph's life and it just seems for so long to be dominated by the acts of other people, doesn't it? I mean, he's got his dream. My parents are going to bow down to me. And his whole life just seems to be a catalogue of human decisions that are, that are detriment to everything that he wanted to do. 
Someone's lying, someone's sending him, he's a slave, he's in prison, all these things. Uh, But God was working through that. Even through these evil acts of people, God was working. That's how powerful God is. And so right at the end of it, when um, his brothers come, he says this, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have the faith of um, Joseph, where if anybody does anything bad against us, we just say, you meant it for bad, but somehow God will make this for good. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have that sort of like bad stuff happen? You say, it's not the end. It's not over till it's over. God is in control. This was a surprise to me, but it wasn't a surprise to God. When people act in terrible, nasty ways to us, where it seems like they are dominating or ruining our life, past, present, or future, and it's like these people are destroying me, these people are ruining things, wouldn't it be nice to be able to stand and say, look, do your worst, my God is in control. There's nothing you can do, I'll just take this to the Lord in prayer. I just believe that God will see me through. I'm just going to stand as I've always stood, believe God's word. I'm going to act the best way I know how as a Christian, and there's nothing that you can do about it. You think there's nothing I can do about it because you have the human power. You have the power to fire me, or you have the power to imprison me, or, or you, have, you have the power to do this, that, and the other. You have the earthly power. And you think that you've got power over me, but don't you understand? You've got no power over me except what God gives you. No power over me except what God gives you. This is why Jesus, he was like talking to Pilate and all these people, and they're saying, don't you know who we are? And Jesus says, there's nothing you can do unless my Father allows you to do it. What, what a wonderful way of, of viewing life, to believe in God's providence, good or bad. God is in control. God's in control. And here were these men, these standing there, and they're like, Nebuchadnezzar, you look like you've got, you're holding all the cards, but you don't realize there's somebody that's bigger than you. So far, he's invisible. We haven't seen him deliver us yet. We haven't seen a, a miracle of anybody being saved by the fire. We haven't seen his hand. But just because we can't see him right now, Nebuchadnezzar, doesn't mean that he's not still on his throne of glory. Doesn't mean that you're not totally in his control and that every breath you take to threaten us is a breath that God allows you to have because God knows when your last breath will be and there's nothing you can do about it. When God says your time's up, it's up. It's finished. God is the final ruler. So they had this faith, this incredible faith to believe God. This incredible faith that God was in control. Yes, he was invisible, but they knew that he was behind the scenes and that at any moment that he chose, he could manifest himself at any way. And even if he didn't, they still knew he was in control. Isn't this amazing? It's like, it's like Nebuchadnezzar, the God we serve, is able to deliver. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't stop him. He chooses to deliver. He will deliver. We have absolute confidence that God is in control and he is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace and he is able to deliver us out of your hand. I mean, we could go right through the Bible again and again and again and look at this, but immediately I just think about Peter in the prison. Um, Was it Peter in the prison? I'm, I'm thinking of Paul. Yeah, Peter was in the prison. I'm thinking of Paul of Silas in the prison. And they have this attitude. They're in prison. It looks like it's all over and they're singing hymns. They're singing hymns. Why? Because God's in control. They're praising the Lord. Why? Because it it looks like humans are in control. It looks like the power of humans are in control. They've been thrown in the prison, locked up, and they're praising the Lord. Why? Because God can do whatever God wants to do and their future's in God's hand, not some jailers. And they're praising the Lord and guess what? God turns up. And he opens the whole of the prison door. Why? Because he chose to. Because he's able to deliver. But they were praising him and trusting him before he did that. They weren't sitting there going, oh, it's all over. It's finished. So much for for following Jesus. So much for preaching the gospel. If this is what we get, how can we preach the gospel in prison? Where's God? Why isn't God doing something about this? 
This is terrible. Where are you, God? This is outrageous. And maybe they didn't understand what was happening, but they still understood that God was in control. They said, Lord, here we are. Here we are. And they were praising the Lord. Why? Because those jailers couldn't stop the praise. Because nothing anybody could do to these early Christians could suffocate the life of God in them. I mean, Paul says, persecuted, shipwrecked, number of times, beaten within an inch of our life. None of these things intimidate me, says Paul. Why? Because God's in control. God knows where I'm going, and I'm in his hand. And when he's invisible, he's working as much as when he's visible. And then they get that incredible breakthrough deliverance, don't they? And God turns things totally around. Well, here, and we could go right through the whole of the Bible to see God at work. And they said, but if not, he will deliver us. But if not, be it known that we will not serve your gods. And so this was the beautiful thing. They were believing God for a deliverance. They were believing God for a breakthrough. But even if it didn't come, it wouldn't change anything. They still trusted in the Lord. I mean, they couldn't lose with this type of attitude. There was no intimidation because God was on the throne. And not on the throne, not interested, but God was on the throne in Babylon. God was on the throne in this situation. And they were like, we're following the Lord and we're going to do what he's told us to do. We're going to obey his commands and there's nothing you can do about it. And God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to do it. Because God knows our future and our future's in his hand King Nebuchadnezzar, it's not in your hand. So whatever way you want to turn it, Lord, whatever way you want to do it, we're just going to keep on believing. We're just going to keep on doing the right thing, praying the right thing, living the right way, trusting the right thing. We're not going to stop. We're not going to be intimidated by circumstances when you're in control. How many times in your life have you been in situations as a Christian where it didn't look like it was working out? where it's all going wrong. And God has a way sometimes, it gets worse and worse and worse, and just as it can't get any worse, it gets worse. He's got a habit of doing that. And, and you just think, what's well, going But then what happens is, in his way and in his timing, he turns it around. Isn't that true? This is why James says, consider it all joy if you have to face anything you don't want to face. Why? Because God's at work. God's at work. You need endurance and patience and trust in God. Why? Because he's at work. He's at work. What's he doing? He's wanting to mature you. He's wanting to strengthen you. He's wanting you to come out lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. Every time you go through a test of faith, you come out stronger than you went in. Every time you go through. Peter talks about fiery trials. And he uses the terms like a fiery trial or a test. Or when you step out for God, this trial, what it does is it makes you stronger because it's like when you uh, purify gold in fire. That gold comes out stronger because the fire brings out all the impurities. And a mature Christian, every time you come through a trial, a small trial, they don't all have to be life-changing, life-threatening trials. They can be a small trial. I'm just not getting irritated at work with that person at the desk next to you. So I'm not talking about, you know, you're either you're going to be thrown in the fire or not. Everything we got, everything, everything is a test. Everything. Tomorrow you'll face tests, you know that. Tests. And every time you pass a test, you get a little bit stronger. It's not all about, like I said, the big tests when something, you know, totally comes into your life. Those are important and as I was saying, you'll never face anything you can't defeat in God. He will never put anything your way that you can't conquer. He won't ever allow you in a situation that's too much for you. <laughs> We've been in situations and we felt they're too much for us, but they're not. Why? Because we're still here, stronger, better than ever before. Amen? There is... I feel a Morris Sorello coming on. There is no trial... There is no circumstance, there is no persecution that can come into our lives that can defeat us. There's none. And, and when, because God is a God of purpose. He's in control. And this type of trusting in God 
It doesn't mean that, oh, well, whatever happens, happens, and, and you become passive. On the contrary, you become active. Some people say, oh, you know, whatever happens is God's will, so, you know, why bother? Like the hyper-Calvinist who said, well, whatever happens is God's will, fell down the stairs and he said, well, thank God that's over. That's not the attitude we're talking about. That, that's not, no, this is a releasing for us to be active, to know that we can go for it with God. We can believe God and pray God. And even if we make mistakes, some, there's some people in here are sensed by the Spirit of God. But one, one of your major difficulties is you're so frightened to make mistakes. You're frightened to make mistakes so you don't step out. Because you think if you make a, step, make a mistake, it'll all go wrong. I better not do that. I better not step out. I better not speak. I better not pray. I better not give. I better Whatever it might be. There's things you want to do, but you think, oh, I better not. What if I'm wrong? I better not. What if I make a mistake? What if I go out and it doesn't work? What if I try and, I, and it fails? And, and you've, you're, you're worried about making a mistake. But listen, if, you do, if, you, if you're doing it for the Lord, even if you make a mistake, it's okay. Because he's factored that in. He's factored in that you're going to make mistakes. He's factored it in. Why? Because he knows what's going to happen. He's factored it in. He's factored in your sinful tendencies. He's factored it all in. He's just saying, come on, rise up, believe. Come on, be, just go for it. Go for it. God has factored it in. And when you make a mistake, it's all right. As long as you're doing it for the Lord, he'll make it right. Well, how free, how wonderful to be bold. The secret of the of of the early church's boldness was that the Lord was in control. I mean, you can't, you have no power over a believer who believes that God is in control of absolutely everything at absolutely every level, not just macro, but micro. God is a micro God as well as a macro God. Yes, he beholds all the massive galaxies that are moving around in the universe. He sees the big picture, but he is a micro-God. He is interested in every hair on our heads. He is interested in the tiny little sparrow, and when it drops, he is interested in the micro, uh, microscopic life. He is intimately involved in everything. And he's as intimately, even more intimately involved in your life because you're his special creation. He's thinking about you. He's thinking about you. He's pondering about you. He knows what you're going through. He, he listens to the little, the little things matter to him. He's involved with the little things. Now, sometimes I used to get annoyed when you'd get Christians and they're going, oh, the Lord just blessed me. And I'd be thinking, you know, get a life. You know, I mean, go and get life. For example, I remember somebody on Facebook, and she uh, was in a tube station, and um, she went to one of those chocolate vending things, and she put in, you know, the coins. Instead of one chocolate bar coming out, two did. So she felt that that was something that should go on Facebook. So she was like, praise the Lord, my father cares for me so much. I love the Lord and, and that my father is cared about even the small things. And I put one coin in and I got two bars of chocolate. And I thought, oh, and there's people starving in Africa and there's wars going on. But hey, you got your two bars of chocolate. <laughs> and I remember being really annoyed about that. I've changed my mind. I've changed my mind. I think I've grown a little bit. I've changed my mind. Now, I don't know whether she was meant to give the... I don't know. That might have been a test, because isn't taking two for the price of one stealing? I don't know. I'm not going to get into that. That was... She obviously didn't see that. She obviously thought it was God's blessing, and I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs of that. But let, let, let's, let's say... I'm thinking to myself, no, that's wrong. God, God, God can be that caring about Alan. Sometimes a little... And, and then I begin to think of some of the little things that God's done in my life. You know, little things that you'd think, what's the big deal? Yeah, well, just a little thing. He, he knows what flavors we like. He knows, you know what I'm saying? And sometimes 
He'll do something so little that if I shared it with you, you'd be like, so what? But for me, it was everything. Maybe that chocolate bar. So I've changed my mind on that because just because God is giving two chocolate bars instead of one. <laughs> yes, please. Keep believing, Marcia. <laughs> just because he's giving two for one doesn't mean that he's not involved in the bigger things in life. And I was sort of thinking, why are you, God's not interested in two-for-one chocolate bars. You know, we got global warming and all this lot on our hands, and you're worried about two chocolate Get into the real world. I've changed my mind. I think it's both. I think it's both. And so everything, God is at work, and it's beautiful to identify when, when we manifest that. But back to these guys. They were like, look, you, you can't intimidate us. We know who's in charge. And therefore, we're going to be who we are. We're going to follow what we know. And we're, going to be, we're not going to dumb down God. And then in that verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And the expression of his faith was changed. And they bound him. And you know the story. And it just looked like it was all over. You know, wouldn't it be nice if God had just sent an angel before to sort of, you know, and, then, and the angel of the Lord appeared, and the glory shone around. And Nebuchadnezzar repented of his sins and didn't put the three in the fire. It's interesting how God works. God was leaving it, just leaving it, just leaving it, just leaving it, just leaving it. That's why James says you have to have patience. Why? Because sometimes God just leaves it. He just leaves it. He just leaves it. Why? God doesn't cut short the test very often because if he does, the test won't do its work in our lives. It won't do... I know, like you, I'm like, oh, this test of this trial, what, can it get over with? Can, you know, can we get this thing over with, God? I know you're in control, but can we get through this? Why is it taking so long? Can we get through this? And you want to cut short the test because of impatience. But God is saying, if I cut short the test, I'll just have to give you another one. Why? Because I'm doing a work in you. And therefore, have patience so that God's work in you can be done. And then when you come out, you'll be perfect. Well, that means mature. Lacking in nothing. Lacking. Sometimes it's the test that gets you into the place of prosperity. Sometimes it's the trial that, that, that is needed. It's the, it's the pathway to the greatest blessing. Don't fear tests. Don't fear trials. I'm not asking us to have the maturity of James, who says, consider it all joy. I don't know if anyone's there yet. If you are, pray for me. <laughs> I don't consider it all joy, but I'm getting to the place where I'm beginning to believe in the providence of God. Whereas... An immature Christian, and I don't mean this nastily either, it could be just a young Christian, but I found old Christians can be young in this area. When something comes that shakes their world, they fall to pieces. You don't see them in church for weeks. They run from God, not to God. Or they panic. Well, it's all right to panic, the first few moments of panic, but they remain in panic mode. And that everything just falls to pieces. We don't want to be like that. We want to say, God is still at work. He's not giving up. Where are you, God? I can't see you, can't fear you, feel you, can't hear you. That may be true. He's still at work. He is still at, he's as much at work as when he comes in his power and his glory and manifests his, his, his miraculous. He's just as much at work in the quiet times, in the times when he is invisible and silent he is just as much and sometimes more at work in your life than often in the noisy, sensational times that we all love as Pentecostals. So they're thrown in the fire. And then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up. He said, didn't we cast three people into the fire? And they said, yes. He said, but I see four men. And one of them is like a son of God. Do you know what, what I like about this is that it's like there was always four of them. There was always four of them. As you read it, you keep hearing three. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. But there was always four of them. But sometimes it takes the fire to reveal the fourth man. 
It takes the fire to reveal the fourth man. Sometimes it takes heat to reveal. He was already there. He was the invisible God at that time. But wasn't the fourth man, which is Jesus, really, a pre-incarnation Jesus, it's the Lord or the angel of the Lord representing the word of God. He was always with them, always with them. But the fire revealed him. If they hadn't gone in the fire, you wouldn't have seen the fourth man. But it was the fire that manifested the fourth man. It, it reminds me, uh, 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 well, it's not quite, but anyway, it's, I like that footprints poem where, you know, Lord, when I look at my life, it's like footprints in the sand and my life. And on my journey through this sand, I see two sets of footprints, mine and yours. Uh, but whenever I went through a difficult time, whenever I went through a hard time, whenever I went through a test, whenever I, it was difficult in my life, I only saw two footprints. Uh, sorry, I only saw one pair of footprints. It's like whenever I was in difficulty, you left me. And of course, if you know the poem, Jesus says, it wasn't that I left you, it's I carried you. I carried you. You thought I'd left you, I was carrying you. And, and it's, it's in these times that God comes through. If we were all cotton wool Christians, and if, if we just put ourselves, like some Christians do, if we were middle class cotton wool Christians living somewhere in the countryside with a lot of money, house, everything, and we could just cotton wool ourselves, cotton wool ourselves, make sure we have the best health care and everything, cotton wool ourselves, and we, and, we, and we walk around, and you'd hardly ever see the Lord manifest because he doesn't need to. You don't need him to. You've got everything you need that the world can give you. He doesn't need to manifest. I've known people like that. I've known people like that. And their Christianity is it's so thin. It's so thin because it's never been tried or tested, although God has a way of even getting into those types of scenarios. But when you're believing God, and the tests are not always, you know, against you. Sometimes God is, sometimes some of us are saying, well, I haven't been tested for a while. Yeah, that's right. You need to rise up and find a test. You, you need to stir yourself. Well, I haven't been through a test for years. That's because you're lazy. You're not, walking in, you're not walking properly with the Lord. You're not believing God for things. Sometimes we have to rise up and find the test. We have to find the obstacle. We, God is sometimes calling us to rise up and conquer. And the conquering becomes the test. This isn't, I'm, I'm not talking, things do happen to us. But I'm not just talking about passive, you know, I'll just wait until another trial comes. Jesus didn't sit there going, I'll just wait until they crucify me. He was up there healing the sick, believing his father. He was the most energetic. He didn't go to his disciples, stay ye into the world until trials come upon you. Hide while thy can. No, he was like, get up and go out. In fact, most of the trials Paul went to were self-inflicted. Not in the sense of self-inflicted because they were bad, but he wouldn't have had to face hardly any of those things, would he? If he'd stayed in Jerusalem, kept his mouth shut. No, following God brought him into scenarios where he had to face things that he wouldn't. That's what God wants us to do. He wants to strengthen us because that's where we see Jesus. Don't you love testimonies? Testimonies are about somebody that was in the furnace and there was a fourth man manifest. And they talk about what they went through or the test or what they were believing God for. And then all of a sudden in their testimony, the fourth man turns up, doesn't it? Oh, I was believing God for a breakthrough in finances and the Lord led me to sow and I could hardly feed myself. And, da -da 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 -da. and then it came up. And then the breakthrough came. The fourth man manifest. God manifests. He comes into the fore as we, as we move forward. And they see this fourth man. And they are delivered out of the fire. And this is the last thing I'll say. There's many things I could say, but this is enough for tonight. Well, I love how they came out of the fire. They were untouched. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not 
any power over the bodies of those men. The fire's no power. The, the trial has no power over you. The test has no power over you. It might seem, naturally speaking, that it does. It's oppressing you, or it's challenging you, or it's a great mountain in your way, and it seems to be so powerful. It's a giant in your life, and it may seem, but it has no power over you. And when they came out, it says, uh, the fire of no power over the bodies, the hair of their heads weren't singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. When you're going God's way and you're facing things that are trials or tests or fiery things in your life, when you come out of them, you don't come out singed and burnt and smelling of the fire for the rest of your life, but you come out of them untouched. Now, I'm not talking about the trials that we inflict on ourselves that are sinful. Again, you don't have to put your hands up, but how many of us have gone through a trial that was due to our own personal sin? Our own unbelief, sin, bad attitudes, anger, hatred, lust, or whatever it might be in whatever area. And we end up in a terrible situation, and it's our fault. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's not good. That's not what God's talking about. And often when we come out of a trial of our own sinful making, we come out broken, hurt. We, the, that fire of a sinful trial has burnt us, singed us, harmed us, and we come out smelling, if you know what I'm saying, of that whole thing. And what do we need? We need to get healed. Thank God he's in the healing build business. But if you go through a sinful trial, I'm not talking about you, you made a mistake and all that. I'm talking about willful disobedience, willful sin. You knew what you were doing. And you'll go into that and you'll come out a wreck. And you will, you will feel the fire because sin destroys. Sin burns. Sin affects. Sin breaks. Sin poisons. So when, if you, and there's plenty of Christians that have been, been down that route. And you've gone down that route and you come out, some of us, we're still being healed and cleansed and, and made whole from bad decisions we made months, years ago. Am I right? But thank God we're being healed. That's what it's all about. I'm not talking about those. Stay clear of the works of the flesh or you will get burnt and then you will need to get healed. And even when you get healed after that, and you will, you won't be any better off than you were beforehand. Maybe restored. You know what I'm saying? But not strengthened. But it's totally different when you go through a trial the best way you know how. God knows you make mistakes. But your heart's correct. When you go through something and, and you try to follow God, you will come out of that trial, and you will come out, and that trial will not have taken from you, destroyed you, burnt you, no, not one singe on your head. You will walk out of that test and out of that trial strong, purified, full of faith and mature. Amen? Let's just stand in the presence of the Lord right now. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come up on the platform, but just before we release some prophetic words in line of what we're doing, we're just going to let the Holy Spirit fall upon us. Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit will come amongst us right now, right where we're standing. Why don't you just open your heart and say, Lord, fill me. Fill me and secure me. When you just think about the Lord, the Lord's been working in your life from the moment you were born. Everything is working towards the goal of maturity in your life. God is at work. What the devil meant for harm, God will turn for good. 
when you were broken, when you went through Joseph's scenarios in your life, where people did things and said things they shouldn't have done. Shouldn't have done it. And you're thinking, how am I ever going to get free from that? Don't worry about it. God knows. God understands. What they meant for evil, God intends to put you in a place where although you'll say, never in a million years would I ever want to go through that again or hear those words again, yet I stand today stronger because of it. That's his goal. That's his goal. And he doesn't want you intimidated, fearful. Oh God, Bruce is speaking about trials again. That means one's coming. He doesn't want you to think like that. Nothing will come into your life that you can't handle without God, with God, without God on your side. With God on your side. So those of you that are in difficult circumstances right now, we could pray for you. Prayer makes it easier. That's why we need to pray for one another when we're in difficult scenarios, right? Because prayer makes it easier. It, it, it doesn't stop God doing what he wants to do in your life, but it eases, it helps. So we pray for all those that are in difficult circumstances, internal or external. And Father, we ask right now that you will send your power of your Holy Spirit upon them. The encouragement of your Holy Spirit we pray that your words and your promises in their life would be strong. Pray that you will lift them up. We pray that they will spread their wings and rise on the truth of providence. That you are at work in the difficult times as much, if not more, than you are in the easy times. Lord, like children, we just trust you. We just trust you. We say, Lord, you're in control. We're not even looking at the result. We're looking at you. All things are in your hands. All things are yours. You work all things for good for those that love you. And we release ourselves from pressure. We release ourselves from intimidation and the roar of the enemy that's a lie. And we say we're free free to live as Christians, free, free to do as the Lord has called us to do, free, we're free, we are not intimidated by the Nebuchadnezzars in our life, the Nebuchadnezzars in Great Britain, in the media and in politics, those Nebuchadnezzars, we're not intimidated by you, you have no power over us except what you're given and we release ourselves into the freedom of the Almighty. Just, just in this atmosphere, we're just going to, if anyone has a word, we're just going to nice and loud, just minister it to people. As we prayed earlier, the Holy Spirit gave me a word from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. said, come to me, all you who are exhausted and overburdened, and I will give you rest. The only person can give you rest is Jesus. Don't go out from this place with your burden. Come by faith. I am a living testimony. I get that rest. The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will take that rest. He will take that burden from you and will give you the right rock. Jesus name. Yeah, a couple of words. I have a word for someone who is currently going through a difficult situation with regard to inheritance there's family feuding there's acrimony there's there's a challenge there and i believe god is saying to you that you know walk in forgiveness walk in forgiveness you know keep your witness keep your peace and do not get too involved in the in the argument and the acrimony god is in 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 this i just want you to walk away from it and let them those who are fighting carry on with it. You keep your witness, you keep your peace and walk in forgiveness. The second word I want to share is that there is someone here who is uh, filling out some very important documents, very important documents and you know you're under pressure to, to manipulate the truth a bit. You're under pressure to put down things that you think need to be said in order to help you get what you're looking for. It's a difficult situation. I believe God is saying, trust me and 
you know, walk in, in transparency, put down the truth, don't manipulate the truth, don't put things down to, to bring deception, just walk in truth and God will deal with that issue as well. And the third word, I, I, the thing I believe God is saying, there's somebody here who was involved in a business with a, a family friend and things have gone a bit sour, hasn't worked out so, so well and you've lost money and God is again urging you to walk in forgiveness and to say God is a God of a second chance. There will be another opportunity for, for business but you need to just walk in forgiveness, not blame anybody as a family friend that you're involved with in this business. Amen. is opening a healing river in this place a healing river in this place and he's going to break out in healing all across this auditorium today um, he's saying to you like he said to Jairus while his daughter was dead he said to Jairus only believe and that's all you need to do only believe that God is going to heal you I also believe some people on this side there is anxiety in this place. And God is saying to you, my peace I give to you. Receive that in Jesus' name. I could almost fail, just like God spoke to Adam. Adam, where are you? God is speaking to us today. It is not doom and gloom. With Almighty God, it is going to be from glory to glory. Life is full of ups and downs, but we have to go through Gilgal experience, then Bethel experience, then Jericho, and then Jordan. And God is telling us, be not afraid, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I'm your God. I will help you. Yes, I will strengthen you, for God Almighty is with us. So whatever it is with God, who has placed seeds of greatness in us, will do mighty things with us. He's our Lord God Almighty. Also, I feel there's somebody over there that you are going through some difficult circumstances. It could be overwhelming, and God is saying, be not afraid, for I am your almighty God, who will go through this difficulty to let you go through this, and you will come out victorious. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, when I was praying earlier on today, the, what came to me was that God's compassion is here. People have gone through quite traumatic situations. It could have been from their children, and, or it could have been, you know, when they're an adult. But he's saying that his compassion is here to heal your hearts and to heal your wounds. And there's someone over this side, I believe, who thinks that their life is just bland. And, you know, there's no purpose to, the life, to your life. But God is saying that, you know, he's the one who brings fragrance and meaning to your life. And another word is that someone is wanting um, to start afresh. And God is saying, I'm here, and I can give you a new beginning. Amen. I've got two words that I would like to share with you. And the first one is I have the impression that someone is here tonight who's saying, like, you know what, God, this is the last evening that I will give to you. I'm really tired of all the struggling. I'm tired to fight through it, and I'm tired to, to I, I just want to let go of it. And I'm, I would like to encourage you to say, you know what? God is telling you tonight, don't let go of it. You'll never know when the breakthrough comes. And I'm not letting you go, so don't let me go. What you're expecting is near there. It's nearly there. And another picture I saw is um, a string attached to a heart, and there's a burden on someone's heart. It's been there for quite some time. It's like, um, and you didn't know whether you should do something about it. And it's more like early morning prayers or sacrificing like a half an hour to, to draw near to God. And God is saying, come draw near to me as you do this one step of faith this allows me to come 10 steps closer to you amen ministry team are going to what we're going to do now if we're going to just spend 15 minutes or so worshiping the lord if you need to leave at any point from this time you're welcome to go but if you want to respond to any of the words that have been spoken or 
there's a healing flow if you want to be prayed for or for anything that you want prayer for during this next time of praise and worship the ministry team floor is over here if you've got any ministry team that aren't on duty but you're here today if you could join us that would be good because we don't seem to have as many we had a big ministry team so if we have some more ministry team around it'd be great if you could join so that people can get prayer for quickly so god bless you if you need to go have a great week you're going to stay in worship for a while wonderful if you need ministry we're here for you in jesus name